Tonight, I would like to speak on a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. It's a subject that I'm still trying to understand. It's a subject that I am convinced that there are people that are, are losing their losing heart and losing hope. And I'd like to speak on the subject of hope tonight. Hope. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word hope, but I hear it used as kind of like this, and I use it this way too. I hope it rains tomorrow, okay? Uh, Or I hope it's beautiful tomorrow. I hope the snow does not come tomorrow. I hope, you know what I mean? I hope Hope always looks forward. Hope has different levels, if I can say it like that. Hope is normally a confidence expressed in the future. I love the song, my hope is built on nothing less. My hope. David, in Psalm 42, I don't think I'm going to turn there, but he says it in the beginning and he says it at the end of the psalm. He says, well, he's trying to talk and talking to himself. Do you ever talk to yourself? How many of you are talkers to yourself? Okay, yeah, some of us do. Hey, don't ever, don't ever feel bad about that. That's very biblical. Bible says speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it's whenever I catch myself talking to myself, that's okay. Ephesians 5 backs that 100%. But David, I mean, David apparently was a talker to himself. He would... He would say things like this. Apparently he had bad days and he would be, something was disquieted in him. When I think, think of the word disquieted, I would think kind of noise. It's, it's not quiet, it's disquieted. He says, oh my soul, why art thou disquieted? In Psalm 42. But then he says, here's the answer. He says, hope thou in God. So whenever you have that inner turmoil and there's noise and there's not quiet when there should be quiet, the answer is hope in God. That tells me that it's very normal to hope in something less than God. I wonder tonight if your hope is in God. Listen to this verse in Romans, Romans 15. Listen real carefully. You can make a note of it. You can turn to it if you want to. But Romans 15, 13, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now that's a hope-packed verse. First of all, it's recognizing the God of hope. And then secondly, it's talking about hope abounding. That means uh, growing and growing and growing. And then in the next verse, it says, I'm persuaded of you, brethren, that you're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and you're able to admonish one another. He said, okay, number one, you've got to recognize the God of hope and I want hope to abound. And then he says, I have such confidence in you. I think Paul was an encourager. I think he was. He wasn't as, an, as much of an encourager as Barnabas, but he had it in him to really lift up and build up congregations. He would often pick out really good things in congregations, even when he had some tough things to say. So that's found there in Romans 15. So as we just kind of unpack the subject of hope, I'm going to make five points tonight. They're going to be short points, hopefully. The first one is 
the God of hope and his plans. And then secondly, we're going to recognize something. We're going to recognize that hope is found best in the dark places. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the door of hope. And then I want to talk about the hope of the gospel. And then I want to remind everybody that you're a messenger of hope. So I would like to just briefly talk about the God of hope. We saw it in, in, in Romans 15. And I want to talk about this God of hope and his plans. How many of you have a plaque on your, on your wall, or maybe even on your Bible case, and it has this verse? The verse is, For I know the, pl- the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, the thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Anybody have that on your wall? No? Okay. I remember going to a viewing of, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, fun- plan- planning a funeral of a young lady that died suddenly. And on the wall was this motto, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Here's another rendering in another version. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Sometimes we forget that God has plans. You know, you got your, I don't know, I don't know if you have uh, changed from the calendar on the wall to an electronic device. I was very slow in doing that. I was stubborn. I thought I will never go away from my little date book in my pocket and my calendar on the wall. Some of you maybe can identify with me and feel my pain, but I got to the point where I thought, you know what? It works, actually. I have a little device that is synced with my wife's phone, and she puts a date in, and it pops up on my phone, and I can do the same. And, and when we usually don't have an excuse if we, if, if it's not on, if we, don't, if we didn't communicate, if we failed in communication. Well, we make plans. You make plans, I make plans. We all make plans. But do you, do you know that God makes plans too? God has plans. His plans are not our plans. His ways are above our ways. God has plans. And sometimes when his plans unfold, we forget that he always has our good in mind, always. And that's what that verse in Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says, in, in that, that verse that is so used, is, it says, I have plans for you. And it's not to harm you. It's plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you know the context of the verse? You probably do. I used that verse long before I understood the context. One day the context dawned on me. And I, the context is part of a letter that Jeremiah wrote to, or he sent it to, to the Jerusalem, I'm sorry, from Jerusalem to the surviving elders that were carried away captive in Babylon. Now, I don't think you and, you and uh, me can imagine that. Being somebody, another nation come in, rip us apart, carry us away captive. I mean, what could be worse? Their homeland was destroyed. The only possessions that they had were the clothes on their back and maybe a little bit they could grab on their way out. Some of their good friends were killed. Some friends were left behind. They were scattered and ripped apart. And they were taken to a strange land, strange people, strange customs, strange language. If that would be me, if that would be you, I'm guessing, we would have the tendency to say, God, where are you? 
And in that setting, God loved them enough, cared for them enough to write them a letter. A letter from God through Jeremiah sent to the captives in Babylon. And there are times where we're going to feel like that. Maybe not to that degree, but we'll probably feel like our world shattered and we fell apart and everything's falling apart. And we wonder, where are you, God? We'll wonder if God even cares. Maybe you're there today. Maybe we'll be there tomorrow. We don't know. But my point, my point is the God of hope and the plans that God has, the, the God of hope. He knew their situation. He hadn't forgotten them. He cared enough to write a letter, a personal letter to them from Jeremiah, addressed very specifically. The, the letter said, build, plant, increase, be a blessing. Don't sit there and sulk. Try to make the city that you're in prosper. That was the letter. And then, at the, then also in the letter was, I have plans. And my plans aren't to destroy you. My plans aren't to hurt and harm you. There was, it was consequences, by the way. But God says, I have your good in mind. I want to give you hope. I want to give you a future. Tonight, we're talking about the God of hope. Do you know the God of hope? Do you have hope? The God of hope. Well, just like God sent them a letter, God sent you a letter. Very personal. It's to you. Here it is. Beautiful letter. Thank you, Jesus, for the letter. Secondly, hope is found in best in dark places. Let me say it again. Hope is found best in the dark places. Now, one day I sat down with a pen and a paper, and I started writing down really difficult times in my life, really hard. I mean, there were days where I felt it felt like my world shattered. There were days where death invaded And I didn't think it was right. I didn't think it was time. There was a day in Grenada, you maybe heard the story, June June 10, 2003. I prayed with a man named Glenn Cutane early in the morning. We had a prayer meeting. He went off to sea. He went diving. He never came back. And to this day, it's a question mark. I remember later in that day, I just watched the world go on and I almost got angry with the world. How can you just drive down the street like nothing happened? I mean, I wanted everything to shut down. The darkest days. The day our children were diagnosed. I remember. Did you ever get abandoned by a trusted friend? We have our days. We have our valleys. Sometime write them down. I did another study on, on the word hope, and I found it 129 times in the Bible. Over 10% of... It's an interesting scattering through the scriptures, but there's one book that has over 10%. One book has over 10% of all the hope entries. You want to guess? You just probably you probably just studied it in Sunday school. Job. Interesting. I remember that dawned on me. Over ten percent of all the entries of the word hope are found in Job. 
Is it, is it connected to suffering and trials? Hope. There's a book, and I'm not even sure if I have it. I think the, I think the, the name of the book is The Allure of Hope. But all I remember about it is, the, is, is a story. Stories stick, right? The, the author tried to illustrate hope in a story, and he called it, and it was fictitious, he called it the restaurant of hope. But he tried to, the author tried to uh, have you visualize sitting in a restaurant where everything was just picture perfect. You're ushered into this environment where it's just so lovely. Maybe it's the sound of crashing waves out uh, beyond the, the tables, and er, there's soft music. It's just perfect. And you and your, your friend or your group or your wife just sit, or your, your spouse, so you sit down, and it's just, you know, as good as it could get. And you're just enjoying a, be- a wonderful meal. The chef even looks over to you and smiles, and you know that they are preparing a meal that you have ordered, and it is just so perfect. Everything is just right. And then, all of a sudden, without a warning, somebody comes and grabs you by the shoulder and ushers you out. And you're saying, what is this all about? And you go out the back, out the back door, and there's no longer a beautiful environment, but out the back door is an alley. It is, it, it, it is almost like the slums. And the only thing that is there to greet you is a sewer vent with some ugly smells and steam coming up out of the vent. And this is all in a moment. And you wonder, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And you demand an explanation. And all you hear is the door going shut. And there you are. Welcome to the alley. So suddenly. And the author went on to say, And that is where people think hope ends. But he said, in reality, if you understand hope, that is where hope begins. You'll you'll find yourself in the alley. Hope. Hope is best found in the dark places. I remember while we lived in Grenada, we got a phone call. And the phone call was this. A young man that was down short term helping with VS, his father and his brother, their lives were snatched in a moment. It was a Saturday afternoon. They worked hard and they went out to the ocean to swim. My assignment was to be part of a group of three of us that would go out and call a young man in from the ocean and we took him into the sand and I felt like we did exactly what the, the author tried to picture in his book. And we told him he needs to go home. We'll get him a flight out tomorrow morning early his brother and his father, their lives were snatched. I talked to him. Uh, I was at a wedding a couple years ago. That was a long time, probably 20 years, 20, 25 years ago. I recently was at a wedding. And he came up to me. I didn't even recognize him. And he said, 
were you in Grenada? I said, yeah, I was. He said, do you remember me? I looked. You know how it is. You tell me a little more. Oh, then it just dawned on me. And you know what? In, in essence, we didn't have a lot of time to talk. He had responsibility. But in essence, he said, I'm putting, word, I'm, I'm putting his story into words. That's where hope began. That's not where hope ended. Hope looks forward with confidence. Hope has the idea things will get better. If you're in utopia, I'm not sure you have, can get a handle on hope. Hope has a door. Maybe you're familiar with Hosea. Hosea 2, verse 15, it talks about the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And I don't know if I will and can ever unlock that passage, but I just want to I just want to illustrate a door, the door of hope. Well, let me talk about Hosea for just a little bit. You know him? He was he was he married a very attractive young lady. Her name was Gomer. You know the story? Her beauty proved to be a snare. They had a little baby boy. And, I, and honestly, I have a hard time digesting this whole story that God told him to go and marry this girl who was going to be so uh, unfaithful to him. The only thing that I can the only thing that I can comprehend is that God prepared a man's heart to empathize with God. God prepared a man's heart to empathize with God so he could deliver a message. Well, he married this girl, and they had a little baby boy, and then they had a girl. But then there seemed to be a little rift uh, growing between them. And it's, I'm guessing that Hosea was concerned when he started intercepting some looks between his wife and some other men. It was happening. He knew what was up. He wept. They had a third child. God said, Name this child Lo-Ami. You ever read that? You know what it means? God, God told Hosea, name the child Lo-Ami, which means it's not mine. And then she left. Gomer left. Hosea, I'm guessing the sound of her footsteps haunted him. And there he was, so lonely, so alone. And probably the pain of the little ones in the middle of the night saying, Daddy, where's Mommy? I'm guessing that just added to the pain. Can you picture Hosea, this man of God, praying with the little ones? Bring Mommy home. Can you picture him weeping and weeping? Can you picture God speaking to him in the middle of the night saying, how can I give you up? How can I give you up, Ephraim? Well, I'm guessing that Hosea learned that he didn't have to suffer alone. At the, heart of the, at the heart of the universe, there was a God who was sorrowing, sorrowing over his people, doing the same, same thing, exact same thing. Love must find a way. Love will find a way. Yes, love will find a way. And then in chapter 3, you know the story? You know, I've read this book so many times. There's such a deep story tucked, tucked underneath the surface. Then in chapter 3, God said, Hey, Hosea, go, go down to the city block. Go down to the, go down to the part of the city that you hardly ever go. There's an auction being, being held there tonight. 
Go and take a little money along. Make sure you take 15 pieces of silver and, a, and, a, and one and a half a homer of barley. So he goes, and there was a sale. He went to an auction of people. He did. And the, the people came one by one to be auctioned, to be sold as slaves. And he looks. No! He looks. There she was. It was her. It was Gomer. It was his wife. She came up to the block to be auctioned. And the auctioneer started, okay, who give me, uh, he started auctioneering. And they're auctioneering his what? They're auctioning his wife. They're selling her. Yes, he's bidding, he's bidding, he's bidding. He outbid everybody. And he bought her. He paid 15 pieces of silver of silver and one and a half homer of barley. Oh, I wish I could have been there. There's a lot of scenes in the Bible I'd love to see. I'd love to see that one. Oh, I would love to see it. I would love to see this gentleman in the place of God reaching out and taking by the hand the very woman that betrayed him and was unfaithful to him. And he took her by the hand and said, let's go home, honey. I'll bet she didn't have a word to say on the way home. Not a word. And I can almost see him step up to the door like gentlemen do. And he steps up to the door. He opens up the door and says, come inside, honey. And I wonder, I just wonder, I wonder if they got inside and she just fell down and broke and wept like a baby. I wonder, that's what happens at the cross. I wonder, isn't it, isn't it beautiful, the story? Well, it's kind of ugly, but it's beautiful. And that's what our stories are, ugly but beautiful. God, do you see God? Do you see hope? I'm asking tonight. The door of, I wonder if that's how God prepared Hosea to write in Hosea 2, verse 15. He says, I will give you the valley of Achor for a door of hope. I wonder, well, the valley of Achor, what's that? The valley of Achor has a, a literal meaning. And then literal meaning is just, a, it's kind of like a place of turbulence. And I'm not qualified to do an in-depth word study. Do it on yourself, do it yourself. But this word, the, the valley of Achor, has, has a, a literal meaning of, it's kind of like when you're at the flood, when you're at a, a, a place where there's turbulent floodwaters and they're swirling and they're threatening to suck you in and never let you go. That's kind of the literal meaning of the Valley of Achor, but it also has a, a, an, another meaning as well, a very spiritual, historical meaning. And it's where Achan's family was stoned. You know the story. Joshua 7, read it sometime. But a result of their rebellion towards God. And they took an, a man that rebelled against God and all his family and slaw, or, or took their lives. And then they piled their bodies up on a heap and then they covered them with stones. And then they called that the Valley of Achor. Now, along comes Hosea years later and says, oh, by the way, that scene is no compliment to Israel's landscape. The Valley of Achor is not a compliment to the historical landscape of Israel. Well, you know, why not, why not Jordan? Why doesn't it say, I'll give you the crossing of Jordan for a door of hope? Or I'll give you the walls of Jericho falling down as a door of hope. The, or the, the Red Sea or something, something great. That's not how, 
That's not how God works. God's not going to give man's glory and use it as a door of hope. Maybe, maybe just maybe, this picture is given in Hosea 2.15 so we get it. So God's people get it and we get it today. God takes our ugliest. God takes our lowest. God takes our valleys of acor and he makes it a door of hope. Your defeat can turn into a victory. I'm wondering tonight if we understand that hope has a door. The valley of Achor has a door of hope. Jesus, Jesus said, I am the door. I stand at the door and knock. I do, I stand at the door and knock. So, God, the God of hope, hope is best found in dark places. The door of hope, I, I want to very simply talk about the hope of the gospel. Real short, real simple. You know, in Colossians, if you're taking notes, you can jot Colossians 1, verse 22 down. It talks about uh, be not moved from the hope of the gospel. I don't know what your hope is built on, but let me just say it like this. In relation to hope, there's three groups of people, probably only three. Number one, that you may be here tonight and you are begotten unto a lively hope. That's in First Peter, that's in First Peter 1, verse 3. A, li- a living hope, a hope that is alive and solid. Do you have that tonight? Is that your hope? A hope that is alive in Jesus. That's what Peter says. Begotten unto a lively hope. It's living. It's real. It's not a hope it rains tomorrow. It's a confidence of tomorrow. That's the lively hope. Secondly, now listen carefully. There are people that have no hope. Ephesians And there's another verse, I think in Thessalonians, it talks about a group of people that have no hope. And let me just say it bluntly tonight. Let me say it very clear and very blunt. If you are not in Christ, you are here tonight with no hope. None. You you don't have a ray of hope. That's according to Ephesians, Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians. I'm wondering where you want to be tonight, a lively hope or no hope? The, I, I, I put a sub point under number, number two, so I'm going to call it three groups. There are those that have a false hope. And I think there's a lot of people that have a false hope. And that is simply, they have a hope, but they're trusting in blank. They're trusting in something that is less than the merits and the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people like that. I'm wondering tonight if you, which group of people that, which group you have, which you're in tonight. Do you have a lively hope or do you have no hope? Or I could say it like this. Sometimes I try to simplify things and make it very easy to understand. Sometimes I say it like this. There's only two groups of people, okay? Only two. You're at rest or you're restless. And if you're here tonight and you you have hope, you're at rest. That's what Christ does. Come unto me. I will give you rest. Do you ever, did you ever meet somebody that they're just always looking for something? They're just looking, 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 going here, going, maybe good places. I know people that go to every seminar in the book and they kind of come a whole, kind of come away the same. Uh, and I, I call them restless, restless. And I'm not against going to seminars. I'm not going against, but you can tell there's just, a, they're just not, something's, something's wrong with their hope. They're not at rest. Christ didn't, apparently they didn't find that rest that Christ, that Christ offers. So, 
the hope of the gospel. Oh, I want you to see a loving father who draws, who draws to the cross, always draws to the cross. That's what the father does. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, always takes you to the cross. And the closer you get to the cross, the uglier your sin will become, right? The uglier your sin will become. And many avoid it. Because I'll be honest, when I, get, when I was being drawn to the cross, you cannot be drawn to the cross without the ugliness of your sin just becoming daunting and almost haunting. And there are so many paths to bypass it. There are so, oh, the devil would have you bypass the cross in any possible way, not to deal, not to come to grips with your own sin. Well, many people do that. But oh, those that come to the cross, they're just honest. We're back to the first message. You go to the cross and you're totally honest. You confess, you repent, you believe, you look to the cross, you see Jesus, you see his arms open wide. You understand that, that, that the blood was paid and shed and, and the payment is, is made in full. And there we renounce sin and we, we, we die. That's what we do. We go to the cross and we renounce sin and we die. And when that happens, we, we have a brand new standing before God. We're justified. We're like, we, God actually puts on our account. It's like he never sinned one time. That's what he writes down. He, that's what justification is. Justification Oh, there is a sanctification process, but stay, coming before God in, to the cross, that's what happens. Right there, new life springs, in, springs up, and you have a brand new relationship with God. It is so beautiful. That, brothers and sisters, is the hope of the gospel. And my question to every person here tonight, is, do you have it? Do you have hope? Do you have a solid hope? Do you have living hope? Oh, if you don't, please Find real hope in Jesus. And lastly, in closing, I just want to remind every one of us that we are messengers of hope. We are messengers of hope. Sometimes I forget that. You know, we live in a world that is losing hope. You know that? We live in a world that's losing hope. There are many hopeless people, and there are many without hope. Get it? If you have a relative, if you have a friend, if you have a child that is to the age of accountability and they haven't and they're not a Christian, they have they are in a current position of no hope. Let it sink in. No hope. None. No hope. According to Ephesians. None. But here I am. Here you are. We can't save but we are messengers of hope. So whether it's an unsaved person, whether it's somebody that just had the door slam and they're in an alley and all they can see is their new surroundings, can we, can you, can I get beside them and be a messenger of hope? Sometimes I wish I could just chart out a quick remedy. Sometimes I wish I could just get them out of a pit. You know, I heard the story about a man that was walking along and he fell in a pit. One man comes along and he's, oh, sorry for you. I'll put you on the prayer list, okay? Another man comes along and he says, oh, I'll prescribe you some uh, uh, a prescription. Here you go. And then the third man comes and he jumps right into the pit. And person one said, now there's two of us here. 
And the man that jumped into the pit, the pit said, no problem. I've been here myself. I know the way out. A messenger of hope. That's what I'm talking about. You know, I studied Job, and I, I still have a lot of questions about Job. I do. I'll be honest. I don't understand the book. But I learned, I, I, something dawned on me, okay, in a quiet moment. Why is there 42 chapters? Why can't we just take out chapter? What good is chapter 3 to 40? I don't get it, right? It's just a bunch of people trying to help. <laughs> I'm convinced that in this subject of hope, God has a plan. And maybe the plan is 42 chapters that you don't understand. And maybe the plan is just being a messenger of hope and get, maybe, the, maybe it would be better for us to do like his three friends did for seven days and just shut up. <laughs> I, I, hey, credit where credit's due. I haven't, I haven't sat with somebody for seven days and not said a word, okay? And they kind of, we, we forget about those goods. We can't compliment them for the seven days. Maybe the, maybe the best thing is that messengers of hope is just, hey, I can identify or maybe we can't. Maybe we can't empathize. But in some way, I know somebody that can get them by the arm and say, hey, there might be 42 chapters. Messengers of hope see long-term programs. Messengers of hope aren't quick fixers. Messengers of hope care. Messengers of hope often don't have the answers. Messengers of hope are patient. Will you be a messenger of hope? I want to be a messenger of hope. I trust you will too.